Welcome to Women in Leadership Talk, where you'll hear from successful women who are empowering other women with their stories of adversity, resiliency, and success. And here is your host, Vicki Bradley, founder and CEO of Women in Leadership Empowered. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women in Leadership Talk. I am super excited. I have Jillian Stein here with us today. Jillian, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. And we're going to have a great conversation today. And I want to thank all of our audience for being here with us today um, and just give you some insight as to who Jillian is. Um, and today's topic is really about mental health. Um, and, and she's going to be, you know, sharing lots of wonderful information with us. So, you know, please listen in, take notes and uh, just enjoy this conversation that we're having. So Jillian is actually the CEO of Henry's, which is an iconic Canadian brand, which is family owned and operated since 1909, like been around for quite some time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it happens to be the country's largest independent uh, camera retailer, and they take care of all digital needs for all these creative, wonderful people across our country. And so we're so super grateful to have you. Um, but Jillian has been CEO since 2015. And since she took over Henry's, she's helped to transform this traditional retailer into an omni-channel specialty business and has overseen a successful restructuring process while navigating the pandemic. And that's not an easy, not an, an easy task at all. So congratulations on that. Um, and, you know, in an effort to destigmatize mental health in the business community, Jillian has become the first CEO to actually speak out and publicly announce her own personal mental illness diagnosis, which she did back in 2021. And that takes a lot of courage, Jillian. So thank you for doing that and, and for all the work that you're doing to create awareness around mental health. Um, I also have to mention that she was named one of the top uh, women in Canada as a woman of influence in 2022. So another great honor. And again, I appreciate you being here today and being so open and, and uh, you know, candid about, you know, your own journey with respect to mental health. So I'll welcome you officially now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Vicki. I'm uh, blushing. Oh, you're blushing. <laughs> Very kind. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it. you and I've had some conversations around, uh, you know, mental health and, and the stigma around that. And, and I believe fully that it, it's an even bigger opportunity since the, the pandemic, opportunity being awareness and creating mm -hmm. awareness so that people become more engaged. And one of the things I've learned from you uh, just in the conversations we've had is that this is not a straightforward path. Everybody's different. And so my hopes today is that, you know, you're going to share with everyone, you know, a bit about your own journey and why now, why are you talking about this now? So I'm going to mm -hmm. let you take over for a bit and just share with us some of your journey. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start, um, I'll start with my story. Um, so that really started when I was in my first year of university at McGill. And it was the middle of winter. I'm 18 years old and I'm at the airport in Montreal. But I'm completely convinced that I'm standing in the Phoenix airport in Arizona. So wow. now do me a favor, picture Montreal in the middle of winter and then imagine sunny Phoenix, Arizona. I was completely confused. 
I didn't understand why they wouldn't give me the bus schedule for Phoenix. And all I wanted to know is when the bus would leave for Tucson. It seemed like such an obvious thing. The airport staff were confused as well. And they were looking at me like I was crazy. And it was the most infuriating feeling. Mm. I stormed out of the airport. Somehow I did make it back to my dorm room at McGill. But at some point, again, at some point reality set in, but I, I still didn't understand. I was completely out of control, out of touch with reality, and was unable to do anything about it. It was like my mind had betrayed me. And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that something was very wrong. Mm-hmm. So I did what any teenager alone in a new city freaking out would do. I called my mom. <laughs> Thank God for moms. <laughs> yeah. Now she could have just told me to get some sleep, say that I was working too hard. She might even assume that I'm exaggerating or just lonely looking for sympathy or attention. I mean, it was my first year of university. It could have been many things, but not my mom. My mom got on the next plane to Montreal. You see, my mom had seen this kind of thing before. So what my mom knew when she got that call from me in 1996 was that my father had bipolar disorder. So let me just step back and explain what bipolar disorder is. Bipolar disorder used to be referred to more commonly as manic depression, and it's really characterized by highs and lows. So now imagine, take the best feeling you've ever had, the most excited you've ever been, the most reckless, the most demanding, and now multiply that by a thousand. Wow. That's mania. And it's overwhelming. So it leads you to do things that are reckless, dangerous. You could easily drain your entire bank account in a single day when you're having a manic episode. It can also result in psychosis where you don't, you know, you aren't able to differentiate between what's real and what isn't. So now imagine that at the end of that extreme high, you just crash. You're depressed. You can't get out of bed. You can't go outside. You don't want to socialize or work. And the idea of just sending a text message uh, or an email to simply decline an invitation feels overwhelming. And suicide can feel like a very real option. Now that can last for months. Wow, that's scary. And on it is. <laughs> uh, but on top of that, you don't know when a manic episode will hit or when the depression is going to set in. Mm-hmm. You don't know how long each period is going to last for. And so this is where, you know, I think a lot of us can tolerate, um, we can tolerate a lot when we know what's coming, but bipolar is a very unpredictable roller coaster. So, you know, going back to my story is this is where my mom knew and understood that these things can run in families. It's very hereditary. Um, and in fact, both her and my dad had sort of always thought that his, my dad's father uh, also had bipolar disorder, but back then nobody sort of understood these things, didn't diagnose them and, you know, treat them. So we don't know, but whatever his diagnosis might've been, he was obviously struggling a lot Mm -hmm. um, because he died by suicide when he was in his fifties. Oh, wow. So, you know, when my mom got that call from me, her mental health radar went off immediately and she flew to Montreal to take me to get help. 
And now, as you said, um, you know, I've talked about it's not it's not a straight line. So this is where, you know, I'd love to be able to say at the end of all this that I went to a clinic, I got a diagnosis, I was handed the right medication and all was well. But that's not reality. No. Um, They say on average, it takes about 10 years to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so that was my experience. Exactly. Um, I did, you know, very quickly, I was lucky, um, was able to kind of get into uh, pharmaceuticals and psychiatry right away. But, you know, it still took, I don't know, I tried five or six different medications uh, before I finally found the right, you know, the right combination that worked for me, spent countless, you know, hours meeting doctors and experts and trying alternative therapies and And I, you know, said this was all at a time when I was like everybody else, just trying to live my life, figure out what I wanted to do, finish school, start a career, you know, maybe date. (laughs) It was exhausting. It was exhausting. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess the, you know, the, the, the part where I'm lucky is I had support, right? So that's the story with support. Um, Yeah. And that, I mean, that was one of the things you had shared with me is the importance of having that support system. And that comes in lots of different ways and everybody's different as to how they receive that support, that support, right? Um, But that's such an important piece of it in, you know, helping, you know, understanding it, number one, but helping that person to navigate it um, so that they can be somewhat in reality, I guess. Right. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, reality as we, as somebody who doesn't have a bipolar situation, how they're seeing reality. I, yeah. I'm just thinking about how to even it's, say that properly. I think, I think it's that your perception changes, right? Yeah. And so it's always important to have somebody who's um, grounded to help kind of, you know, to understand when something maybe isn't quite, you know, your perception isn't quite reality and to kind of help you identify those moments uh, when something is obviously a little bit more, um, more serious needs more attention. You know, again, it's fair, not grounded in reality is, is a, is a fair way to describe it. Well, and I only say that because when I think about the example of how you even discovered that you, you had this is, you know, you're in Montreal where it's freezing cold in the winter and you're thinking you're in Phoenix, right. Or yeah. in, in, yeah, in Arizona. And so that's a very different yeah, reality check. Thankfully you had your mom who knew what was happening and, and was able to get to you quickly. Yeah. So, so why now, Jillian, why is it important to you to, to, I mean, that's very personal mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you went through 10 years of, navigating this to help you somewhat stabilize it, right? And, and and normalize it for you. So why now do you want to talk about this and share this with the world? So I was at a funeral a few years ago. Somebody that I knew uh, had died by suicide. And yet even in this day and age, when we think we talk about mental health ad nauseum, this family did not mention why their mother their wife, their daughter had died. The children were in their late teens, early twenties, just about to launch. And then this, and I was floored that it wasn't mentioned. Right. But then it dawned on me. 
who have I told? Mm. Nobody really. You know, I obviously my immediate family knew my husband, you know, I told him when we far, first started, you know, to get serious, I would tell the occasional friend, but I wasn't public about it. Mm. And, you know, my family has this history of, of bipolar disorder and they've been equally quiet, always really, really strong supporters of mental health, but not open. Right. And so it, you know, became really clear to me that until we spoke up, until I spoke up, that the stigma wasn't going to change. Now, that's still, it still took me from that moment where I was convinced I needed to do that. It took me about three years to build up the courage to actually do it. But I felt, I still feel a level of responsibility. So I think that, you know, I have a platform right? The fact that I can do this. I'm a successful CEO of an iconic brand. And, and so I can help to bridge the gap, um, you know, do my part to try and erase the stigma. And I'm choosing to use that platform. Um, That's when awesome. I shared, <laughs> when I shared my story though, I did not expect to get, you know, the response that I got. I was absolutely terrified that people wouldn't take me seriously anymore. And the credibility of my decisions was going to be questioned. And I think that probably holds a lot of people back. Um, I guess I just would want to share that it's been actually an incredibly positive experience. Um, I've been, you know, featured in high profile newspapers and magazines and interviewed on top ranking podcasts and, you know, um, as you mentioned, it's always still strange to me that I was, you know, named one of the top 25 women of influence. So these are all, you know, great things that have come of it. I've learned a lot about myself and I have this amazing stream of people who are constantly thanking me and telling me their stories. And, and a lot of them are high functioning, successful individuals who have been keeping this, you know, these things quiet to themselves for a long time. Well, and that in itself is a problem, <laughs> right? Because for many reasons, because if, if you're, if you're keeping that secret, let's say, then how can you let your true brilliance shine? Yeah. And, and it's also, I guess this is how I look at it. it. You're, you're taking away a gift from the world because if you, you know, just even your comment just now about how many people come up to you and tell you their story that gives somebody else, that's a gift, right? Yeah. Because then they're able to share more of who they really are yeah. and not this facade of who they want to project to the world. Yeah. So that takes tremendous courage and resilience. And, you know, I know that wasn't easy for you. So, so thank you for doing that because even some of the things we've talked about with respect to, you know, how, how do we even create the space of a mental mm. health literacy? So maybe you can talk about some of the things that you've done at Henry's and, and what, how you're helping other people to do that. So, um, yeah, mental health literacy is sort of something that I've been talking a lot about recently, um, particularly at work. And I, I find that, um, I don't think we all have the language yet to have the conversation. And so we always, you know, we talk about, you know, if somebody's struggling, you know, speak with them. If you see signs, you know, but I don't, I think we need to go a little bit more foundational and a little bit more, um, yeah, foundational to be able to have those conversations to make sure we're all on the same sort of level when we're talking and we understand. 
So, you know, one of the things that I find is, you know, just, I don't think we think about it this way, um, but everybody has mental health, right? We always use it as a term to sort of refer to somebody who's struggling and it's a negative, but we all have mental health, right? Um, mental well-being is anybody who's human, anybody who has a brain has mental health. Um, and, you know, you can have uh, mental illness and experience positive mental health. So I would say that's um, a place where I would put myself today. Um, not always, but today <laughs> that I have, a, I have a, you know, a mental illness, I'll have it for life. Um, but I'm in a, I have, I have good uh, mental well-being. But you can also not have a mental illness and still experience poor mental health. And I think, you know, you mentioned it, you know, during COVID, um, how much, not that it wasn't there before, but I think how much we've all sort of really started to understand our own, our own mental well-being. And that, you know, I think um, it was Adam Grant talked a lot about during COVID, this feeling of languishing, right? Where you, you know, you're not, you're not clinically depressed, but you definitely are not in a good place. And so even just something as simple as that, to be able to, to understand, um, you know, the words, um, how you refer to somebody is also, you know, really important, right? When you refer to somebody, um, not labeling somebody by their diagnosis, right? I used to say, for example, that I was bipolar. I don't, I don't know why it was the language that I sort of had always heard around me. Um, but like, would you ever say that somebody was diabetes? Like great point. <laughs> That's a great say point. That, right. I have bipolar disorder. Right. And when you talk to somebody, you know, you're not, you, you have depression, right. Wow. You aren't defined by these things. And I think that's sort of, if when, as we can wrap our, our, our heads around the language, it can help us to be able to have those better conversations. Um, and again, you know, just this idea of labeling somebody and defining them by, by mental illness or by mental health struggle changes the tone, right. Yeah. And the ability yeah. to then help and support hundred percent. Like, and that is such a, an important message, right? Because, and it's also, I think even asking you like, you know, what, what, feels right for you with regards to that conversation, right? Because mm -hmm. I think from a society standpoint, there's a number of things you said there that I want to tap into, because mm -hmm. even if we think about COVID, right? Like a big part of what was happening was, was people weren't connecting either, yeah. right? So, so that support system wasn't in place like it would be if you were going into the office and having water cooler talk. I mean, it can be that simple, right? Yeah. Because that's where you find out the things that are happening with an individual. Mm -hmm. So, but even having that, that basic foundation so that you can have dialogue to me, that is such an important aspect. And I know when you and I first talked, I was like, I'm not sure even how to say it myself. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and so it is very important. And I'll hear my daughter say things because she'll go, she's, she's OCD. Right. And, and she says it, she goes, I'm, she has OCD. I, what's that? She yeah. has OCD. Right. But she says that she says, oh, okay. I'm OCD. <laughs> right. And she goes, I have a, I have a mental, um, it's a mental health issue, mom. And I'm like, okay, but you have 
tendencies, right? Because it's not everything you do, right? But our conversation helped me to have better mm. conversations with her as well. So that, that, that was that. my point. <laughs> yeah, Good. which is huge. And and so maybe what we talk about a little bit is some of the things that Henry's is doing um, to you know create that opportunity for engagement and for conversation because. I think companies want to, like they want to have dialogue around it, but, and I know you're still working on that, but what are some of the things that you've been doing? Well, I guess, I mean, the the sort of the biggest thing that we've done over the last few years is we've launched the Henry's Foundation. And so that is in support of um, mental health awareness and destigmatization and support for Canadians everywhere. Uh, my sister, uh, Amy Stein, is the executive director of the foundation. And, you know, we chose mental health as the focus because, you know, it's not just that it hits so close to home for us, uh, but, you know, as we've talked about, it's, you know, it hits so close to home for, for every Canadian, right? Yeah. So one of the things that we have that I just love is an initiative called um, Uncaptured Moments. Okay. And we're encouraging everybody to tap into their creativity and share photos that break free of those picture perfect images that we all see on social media. Ah. And instead, showing that we all struggle and that it's okay to not be okay. And I think that's, you know, it, like it's okay to not be okay. And I think as, um, as leaders, as friends as you know everyone it's important for like all of us to recognize that we all play a role in this so you know it's it's you know trying to um really embody you know being vulnerable bringing your whole self to work to life to create that trust and that credibility and that loyalty um and i think that you know sort of ties back into um you know really strong leadership right, is, is being able to do that. So that's, so that's one of our things. I mean, there's also, you know, there's the, the training um, that we do, which goes back actually to the financial, uh, sorry, not financial literacy, mental health literacy, uh, <laughs> right, that training that we've got in place, and um, really making sure that people understand the benefits and employee assistance programs that we have in place. Because that's something that I would say for a lot of businesses, they have great programs in place, but I would say most of your employees have no idea what they offer, how to access them, uh, and they're going underutilized. So I think that's a great place uh, to start. So those are three awesome, awesome ideas. I really love your comment, though, about the pictures, because that says, you know, pictures say a thousand words, right? And it really does start to shift the perspective of that perfectionism or mm. that comparison. Um, I mean, I hear that even from clients that I work with all the time that, oh, well, so-and-so is doing this on social media and they start comparing themselves to right. that. And it's like, but that's not real. <laughs> that's no. not, that's not it's real. Not. Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, but we surround ourselves by it every day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's awesome. So, and what have you seen as the benefits of being able to, you know, put these things in practice so far and, and, you know, just hearing comments from your teams about what, how they're participating? Um, you know, 
yeah, it's still, it's, 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 I think everybody's finding their own, their own path, right? And what do they connect with, right? Some people feel, some people really love to have uh, the foundation. It's something, you know, as part of their sort of um, daily, like their work environment. And they find that it's really great to be able to throw themselves behind it, get really engaged with it, whether that's fundraising or just supporting the foundation through lots of different means, right? So whether that's, you know, they're creative, you know, we've got obviously a lot of creative employees they can support with, you know, marketing and social media and all of those types of things. So sometimes it's just great to have something that people can kind of all rally behind. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, you know, we're paying close attention to the um, utilization rates of the EAP and and making sure that that, that, that increases. So, you know, I heard, um, um, I was at an event, I don't uh, sometime over the summer. And there was this woman, um, another CEO, and she was talking about how she was so upset that she, um, when she was looking at the utilization of the EA, their company's EAP and how high it was and her sort of comment that, you know, my staff are struggling and they have all these issues. And I was like, but that's amazing that they've reached out for help. I was like, that is actually, you know, something that you should be really proud of. Um, (laughs) yeah. So we're watching, so we're watching that to see, you know, and then, and then, you know, just helping people have, um, you know, I'm, I think we're seeing better conversations, Mm -hmm. um, and whether that's, uh, to try and prevent somebody who's potentially, you know, um, from getting to the point where they need to go on, say a stress leave, um, so that hopefully we can, we can help beforehand be a little bit more preventative. Um, but I'd also say we're getting better at supporting our employees who, who are on, on leaves for mental health reasons and working to accommodate and and bring them back in a, in a way that is, um, that works, that works for them, that works for us. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, hopefully then a better long-term outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for that win-win, right? Yeah. So it's supported both ways. Well, and I remember, you know, something that you had had said to me is that just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And yeah. so, you know, that I think that goes into play with the EAP, right? Like to your that example you just gave, because clearly that CEO, they've created a safe space and people are using the EA, the employee assistance program, um, you know, to, to help them navigate some of these yeah. things. Um, and I think that's a really important thing because, you know, we, human nature, we communicate with people, we connect with people and we tend to paint the best positive, you know, most rosy picture instead of saying, Hey, I am struggling and I need some help. And so I love what you guys are doing at Henry's to start to break down that stigma and you're modeling it. Like you're talking about your own journey, which is hugely important. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important that people understand that this is coming from a place that's that's real, right? Yeah. We do understand. We understand the, you know, I mean, obviously everybody is, you know, everybody's different. Yes. But, but we, you know, we get it. We get it and we want to help. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And I think, you know, just as we start to wrap up here a little bit, I, I'd like us to just take a minute because, you know, one of the things that's really important here that, I think messaging wise is you have had this journey 
since you were 18 years old of dealing Mm -hmm. with bipolar. And yet today you are a very successful CEO running a iconic brand. I mean, you are known all across Canada um, and, you know, probably even more than Canada, but, you know, for, for this discussion, (laughs) so how, or what do you think made you different from somebody else to, to be able to latch onto that and, and have that drive instead of giving in and and have the drive to go for what you wanted. Wow. Um, I would go back to the support. Um, I have an incredibly strong support network and particularly in the role that I have, um, you know, and we talked about it actually a lot before I did speak publicly about it was, is this okay? Is this safe? Are there going to be, you know, is this going to cause problems for, you know, my future career? Is this going to cause, you know, any issues for the business, right? You know, people, the idea of having, you know, a CEO, somebody who has a mental illness run your business, you know, sounds really, really risky. (laughs) But of course, that's where I would, you know, say that having anybody run a business is is just going to say that. And business is about managing risk, right? So, you know, we talked a lot about um, leadership style. I'm very collaborative. You know, we have a lot of safeguards in place, governance practices that make sure that there's not sort of one person that's responsible for everything. And and it's important that accountability and being able to lean on each other. Um, And and ultimately, you know, um, I'm lucky in, in, again, that my board um, was very supportive of it. And, um, and we, you know, sort of said collectively, we're okay to, to do this, but yeah, having a strong support network is, is, is so important. Awesome. So important. Awesome. I just want to elaborate a little bit on what you said, shared there, because what you shared was just true, smart leadership. Okay. Regardless, that's just smart business because you make sure that you have people surrounding you all the time that can, you know, block and tackle, jump in where necessary, have different Mm -hmm. strengths. um, and, And that's just a really smart way to run any kind of organization. So yeah, um, it sounds like you've taken that just up a notch. So well done. Well done. Thank you. But yeah, yeah. you're right. It's just, <laughs> I agree. It's just good business. Yeah. Is what it is. That's awesome. And it's, it, and, and it's allowing you to your point, this platform to be able to share so that other people can start to speak up and share their story and share how they've navigated it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it's one thing to, you know, have a particular situation, whatever that might be. It could be even a, you know, a chronic illness. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, you brought up diabetes earlier, right? Like, like yep. it could be something like that, but that doesn't define us. And so yep. it's <clears throat> how to make sure that you continue to have the successes that you're looking for. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I know we have to wrap up here, but what, what tips would you like to leave or last thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with? Uh, well, I'll start with, you know, what we've been talking about today is just speaking about mental health openly, mm-hmm. right? 
you know, sharing, sharing your experiences, sharing your stories, especially if you are in a position of leadership or power where you can, you know, sort of set that tone. Uh, I think that's really important. Obviously, if you see somebody who's struggling, you know, talk to them. It's not, you know, it's okay to talk to them. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of really great resources out there. If you're not sure how to have the conversation that you can, that you can just, you can look up if you want to get a little bit more comfortable with it. Um, and then, you know, again, you've said it a few times, but having a mental illness or struggling with your mental health does not mean that you can't be successful. It doesn't define you. Um, and, you know, we can all, we all find ways to overcome. Um, so I want to just make sure that everybody, anybody who is, you know, who is struggling has that in the back of their mind, right? That hope that you, that you absolutely can thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can just add to that, your support system, believing in you that you can thrive and not handicapping you because of, you know, what they classify as a, as a label. I think that's a super important message Mm -hmm. um, because that support system really does need to help you thrive. Um, Awesome. Wow. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking time and, and sharing, you know, just your journey and and some of the things that you've gone through. And, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly honored to have had the conversation with you today and to know you now Um, that to me, that's a, that's huge because not just as the CEO, but this really speaks to your character and, and what drives you from a value perspective. So thank you, Jillian, really for, for coming on and, and being vulnerable and resilient and sharing with us. Thank you for letting me share my story with more people. Awesome. Awesome. And I want to thank our audience who's joined in today to listen. And if you have someone in your life who you know, maybe is struggling and and needs that support system. I think Jillian's given you some really great ideas of how you can better or best support them and help them to thrive as as they're navigating this journey. Um, And there's lots of resources that you can tap into. Um, And please do check out Henry's, check out their their foundation. Uh, You know, they're, they're making, you know, definitely a mark in the Canadian marketplace. Um, and you know, there's lots of ways to get involved and volunteer and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, support in that respect as well. So, you know, we appreciate you sharing that and, uh, we look forward to hearing, or sorry, not hearing. We look forward to seeing who our next podcast guest will be. And so please tune in and have a listen. Uh, will talk has been nominated as one of the top 30 women in leadership podcast across North America. And so we're humbled and honored to, to be recognized and getting women's stories out and sharing things that hopefully make a difference and, and impact our lives. So thank you everyone for joining us and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for joining us for will talk sponsored by Women in Leadership Empowered. To learn more about our programs, please visit www.willempowered.com. We look forward to seeing you in our community.